The time is now. Volume 4, Episode 79. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, Vice Chair of the Labor and Employment Department here at Cozen O'Connor and your host of Employment Law Now. Thanks so much for joining. As always, it is hard to believe when we actually have things to discuss that are not specifically COVID-19 related. Just weeks before this uh, historical upcoming presidential election, the United States Department of Labor has taken really significant action in proposing a brand new rule to help determine whether a worker can be properly classified as an independent contractor instead of as an employee. This time with a very short turnaround for public comments to be taken. So what does this new rule mean? How is it likely to affect employers? Given where we are in the election season, is it even likely to pass? Well, although this new proposed rule from the Department of Labor applies generally to all industries, the retail industry continues to be heavily impacted by all things having to do with labor and employment and continues to be a leader in the discussion. Evan Armstrong, who is a vice president of the Retail Industry Leaders Association, RELA, is also a member of the government affairs team. We've had him on this podcast before, so you should know him if you are one of those loyal listeners to Employment Law Now. And uh, Evan is leading the organization's advocacy efforts related to workforce and employment issues before Congress and federal agencies, and he was kind enough to come on and join us again to talk now about the Department of Labor's proposed rule. Evan, uh, you've been such a terrific guest on this podcast before. I really appreciate you joining again today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, and for those who might not remember, even though I know all of my listeners listen to every single one of my episodes, why don't you give us a brief sense of uh, RELA's mission and your role as Vice President for Government Affairs? Yeah, so uh, Vice President of Government Affairs at the Retail Industry Leaders Association, and uh, more specifically, my role as the Vice President of Workforce Policy. Uh, and in that role, I, I look after uh, the broad portfolio of labor and employment issues, healthcare and benefits, immigration, uh, HR-related um, issues that may impact our member companies. Uh, and the Retail Industry Leaders Association, or RELA for short, uh, uh, is, uh, is what it sounds like. We represent uh, the largest, most innovative leading retailers in the country uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and around the states. Uh, and we are their voice, uh, their shield in a lot of ways, and their sword uh, for any number of different policy areas uh, in D.C., and, and namely that's trade, tax, uh, financial services, uh, and workforce. Uh, so uh, we're happy to, to represent our, our, our leading retailers in D.C., and there's usually plenty to do uh, in, their, uh, in, that, in that area. Well, I was just going to say, you guys do a terrific job and, and obviously uh, continue to be busy 
uh, with everything that's going on. So let's let's get right to it. Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, on October uh, October on September twenty second, twenty twenty, the United States Department of Labor published a proposed rule to define who can and should be classified as an independent contractor with a public comment deadline of October twenty sixth, twenty twenty. Before getting into a little bit of the weeds of what the proposed rule does and what your involvement has been on behalf of RELA, I'm struck actually by the process here that has taken place. And I wanted to just get your thoughts on a couple of things. First, this is the first time since the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA, uh, was enacted back in 1938 that the Department of Labor has actually sought to define the term independent contractor by rule across the board for all general industries. Why do you think they're doing this now, and why this issue now? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question, but I think it's just uh, there are a lot of factors involved, and I think the momentum is building and has been building around gig issues, independent work issues uh, over the last, I would say, five to seven years. Uh, and the activity in the states, uh, namely in California, has obviously created a lot of activity there. Um, and I think this administration has just wanted to put their stamp on the issue as much as they can. Uh, and in, from, from the administration's standpoint, uh, a rulemaking through the department uh, is, their, is their best method. Um, and it's limited in its scope, uh, which we can get into, but it is their way of saying, this is the way we're going to view how independent contractor classifications should be going forward. And it's really a counter to the AB5 type position or the ABC test position that we're seeing promulgated by opponents of the gig economy. So again, you know, I think the department senses an opportunity to put a marker out and they're doing it this way uh, through the rulemaking process. Yeah, we'll definitely get into uh, obviously the substance of the rule and touch on AB5 a little bit. Um, we've also seen, I think, to your wheelhouse, uh, change in a lot of the retail business models, even before this pandemic uh, started. Do you think any of the changes in retail business models have anything to do with uh, the Department of Labor's decision to really focus on this independent contractor um, classification? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one area that has caught their attention because I've probably raised it uh, to, to their attention uh, because uh, over the last few years and, and the last time I spoke on this podcast, what we've discovered is the retail industry is seeing an evolution in the workforce and it's partly due uh, to the rise of the gig economy or sort of more specifically the rise to sort of working through technology and apps and platforms. Um, so we were seeing these trends in retail you know, prior to COVID, and they've really just, uh, you know, spiked because of consumer uh, shopping behavior changes, right? So more delivery, uh, more pickup, and a lot of those uh, methods of shopping are facilitated by gig-type work, uh, especially in the delivery space. So I think as uh, consumers will probably continue to migrate towards e-commerce and, and getting things delivered to their homes, or businesses, you know, I think that delivery component for retail is going to be crucial. And then secondarily, you know, retails started to ex uh, experiment with sort of secondary or add-on services after purchase. And a lot of those services are done via a gig contractor, a freelancer, or something like that. And so there's really a retail perspective uh, in this space, and it's not just Uber and Lyft. Uh, and that's the reason why Rela has uh, wanted to get involved more. 
And just to be clear, we'll get in again uh, into your involvement some more, but uh, the Department of Labor's proposed rule is not limited to the retail industry. No, the, the proposed rule is a, is, is a way to uh, view the classification test of whether an individual is an independent contractor or an employee. Uh, as you and probably a lot of your audience knows, it's been a muddled uh, uh, area of law and regulation uh, for many years. Uh, e either there's, there's several Supreme Court cases that are confusing and there's now uh, various state regulations that are contradictory. Uh, and the federal government has swung, you know, uh, as a pendulum as it normally does in between administrations. So you, the previous Obama administration, Obama Department of Labor issued uh, some guidance memos that really restricted uh, the classification test. And I think you're seeing this department use their opportunity to perhaps expand or, you know, they, they say clarify, but I think make it easier to know who's an independent contractor. Yeah, and uh, let's, you know, again, talk about how they went about trying to do that. The other thing that struck me from a process standpoint, the 30-day public comment period that ends, as I said, um, on October 26th that the department is providing, it seems to be shorter than the typical comment period with other rulemaking. Uh, one might look to the October 26th deadline as coincidentally coming only eight days before the presidential election on November 3rd. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the 30-day comment period? It's certainly short, um, or on the shorter side. Uh, there have been 30-day comment periods in the past, so it's not unprecedented. Uh, I do think that uh, if I had to guess, uh, they would have preferred to get this rule out earlier in the summer to give themselves a little bit more space. Uh, but at this point, we are where we are. Uh, and I don't imagine that they will, uh, even if they don't extend the comment period past October 26th, uh, they wouldn't be able to finalize a rule before the election. So uh, regardless of whether there's an extension of the 30 days, this rule is going to be finalized sometime before the next administration comes in. That makes sense. Uh, so on behalf of RELA, you have coordinated on this issue with the Coalition for Workforce Innovation, or CWI. What is CWI and what is your partnership with them? Yeah, so CWI um, is something that uh, RELA and a few other organizations, namely Lyft, uh, the Direct Sellers, uh, and a couple of others, uh, put together uh, about 18 to 24 months ago uh, to start building a federal vehicle to uh, discuss these issues around independent work uh, with really the aim of getting to a federal legislative solution uh, that ultimately promotes the positives of independent work, uh, the flexibility, the entrepreneurship, uh, while mitigating the perceived uh, risk, which is access to benefits or a safety net. So we're trying to address uh, those issues legislatively with uh, members of Congress. Uh, and we also hope to be the coalition that, um, you know, showcases the breadth of interest in this issue, that it is a macroeconomic issue. It's not, you know, this narrow slice of tech companies out of California. Independent work really does impact all industries and all different types of positions. And so our message has been to policymakers through CWI that, you know, this issue, the access to this type of work is really important. And we should be leaning into that and spreading it across the economy as, and, and really showcasing the value of it. And that's really what we've tried to do. And, and Rila has been a core member of CWI 
uh, over the last two years, and, and we hope to work together and CWI will ultimately uh, uh, submit comments on our behalf uh, to the department. Does REAL and CWI generally support the DOL's proposed independent contractor rule? Yeah, I, you, we're, we're supportive, uh, you know, generally speaking of the rule, we're supportive of the department taking the opportunity uh, to put some markers down on where they view this issue going. Uh, but of course, you know, we have some, uh, some revisions, some recommendations, and some clarifications that uh, we'll certainly get into in our comments, uh, but, but more, more, more than not uh, are supportive. And so let's get into the DOL's actual proposed rule. From your standpoint, what, what is the DOL uh, attempting to change here? I think, you know, simply speaking, they're really trying to clarify uh, the economic reality test and, you know, take into account uh, the number of Supreme Court cases and other uh, regulatory interpretations and really and really and simplify the issue to two core factors that they're going to look at to whether uh, an individual is an independent contractor. Uh, and those factors are control over uh, work an opportunity for profit or loss, uh, the impact of initiative, entrepreneurship. So they're really trying to get into this idea of, does an individual take ownership and control their destiny in terms of their work? And I think that's ultimately the core piece that they're trying to get to. Yeah, and then I think that the rule goes beyond that. Once you've reached that threshold kind of inquiry, uh, if you answer both of those questions, as you said, the nature and degree of the individual's control over the work and the individual's opportunity for profit or loss, if both of those then point to the same classification, either yes, employee or yes, independent contractor, uh, then I think the rule suggests that there should be some other factors to look at uh, as to whether that will tip the balance or so. Well, I think, you know, and I was on um, uh, the briefing call with uh, Wage and Hour uh, head Cheryl Stanton when she explained that they're really trying to lean on the first two core factors. And the, what I got from her comments was that if, if you could check the box for the first two in, towards independent contractor, that's mostly going to end the case. Uh, they wanted to continue. They wanted to have the three additional factors, the supplemental factors, in case they needed additional fact-based guidance on whether somebody's an independent contractor. I mean, at the end of the day, she said this is a fact-based inquiry. You know, there are nuances in a lot of different areas, but it, I think she's really trying to make make the test lean on the two core factors mm -hmm. as much as they possibly can. The, the point being then, if uh, both of those two core factors point in the same direction, then no further analysis is necessary. But only if looking at those two core factors, you seem to be getting uh, a difference in whether they're employee or independent contractor, then we start looking at some other factors to see if we can tip the scales one way or the other. I think that's, I think that's right. That's based on her comments during the briefing. And and again, I, I, that makes sense the way they've structured this rule. They really have emphasized those two core factors. So we're obviously going to put, um, you know, a decent amount of uh, effort into supporting those factors and, and then further strengthening them when they can, when we can. So would, would you agree that the uh, proposed rule seems to be a little more employer friendly than not? Well, I think it's friendly for anybody who was wanting clarity around this issue. Um, and I would argue that, yes, it's, it's friendlier for employers who can be a little bit more 
aggressive in utilizing independent contractors or freelancers to supplement and help build their business and certainly recover in a time of, you know, economic uncertainty and COVID that, you know, businesses may want to utilize some of these uh, gig or independent services just to get them through this er this, this era, right? Um, because there is that economic uncertainty. But I would also argue that of the millions of individuals who work in independently, they also like the clarity, right? They also want to be, uh, have ownership over the way they work. And, you know, survey after survey, report after report shows, you know, three-fourths of independent workers choose to work that way. And so I think this rule is, again, getting to the point of individuals like, the, like to work this way, businesses can utilize it. And if we clarify the rules, it makes all sides, uh, you know, more confident going forward. Yeah, and, and it's a great point. And, and one of the other things I was struck by, I read sort of the uh, press release that was issued by uh, U.S. Labor Secretary uh, Eugene Scalia. And there were a couple of quotes uh, that I found really amazing. And they really went to not only trying to offer this clarification, justification that you just talked about, but really went at the California AB5 rule uh, in a way that um, I was surprised that the um, uh, that the labor secretary would do. Just, just to give a couple of quotes from his press release, uh, Scalia says, quote, and unlike AB5, our rule doesn't aim to slant the analysis toward classifying independent contractors as employees. In part, that's because we recognize there are powerful reasons why some workers prefer to be independent rather than accountable to a company as its employee. And then Scalia goes on, uh, as Labor Secretary, I'm struck how often young people tell me they want to start their own business. I've yet to meet one who says, I dream of being an FLSA-covered employee. <laughs> I, I thought it was a good op-ed uh, that he wrote there. Um, and, and I think this is, it's an important component of this debate, and one that gets lost, I think, you know, with opponents of independent contracting and gig, right? The opponents seem to brush over the idea that anybody would choose this style of work. Uh, and I think that they don't understand that, you know, passing AB5, really pushing a stringent ABC test hurts a lot of individuals. And we're seeing that play out in California with this ballot initiative, Prop 22. Uh, you've seen a number of, of publications, newspapers come out in opposition to AB5, in support of uh, reforming it via Prop 22. Uh, you're starting to see story after story of, you know, professional workers who have been impacted negatively by it. And I think that that has just been lost by the opponents here. And I think uh, Secretary Scalia is rightly pointing out that there's so much value in this, uh, not only to individuals, businesses, but the economy. We should be going forward with it, and we should help everybody know what the rules are particularly to the extent that you, you're trying to comport with what individuals may want to be doing, uh, and to the extent that uh, other versions of, of rules, uh, both on the federal and the state levels, uh, were, you know, having or maintaining real stringent requirements that made it more difficult to classify individuals as independent contractors, again, putting aside those workers who may be in more abused settings, uh, to the extent that you are not uh, allowing individuals the freedom to enter into these arrangements when that's what they want, you're doing a disservice to the whole relationship and process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the, the, the key 
uh, mantras of CWI and what we try to put out there is, you know, ultimately, what does the individual want uh, in their life? How do they want to control their work life? And, and that should be a, a key component to how we address this issue. And so that's something that we've really taken to uh, policymakers on the Hill. Uh, we've done polling of independent contractors that uh, buttress these points. Uh, so we'll continue to make that argument that the individual here is where we should be focusing our efforts. And, you know, and I think if we do that, everything else will, will call on, come into place. And just to tack onto that a little bit, um, without getting into, I guess, specific comments that you might be offering, uh, in what areas does RELA and a CWI see potential revisions as being necessary to the current proposed rule? Yeah, I, I think that with uh, two core factors, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty supportive. I think we'll offer some examples uh, and further guidance around what control means, uh, what it doesn't mean. I think we'll, we'll add to their uh, what they already have there. Uh, I would say where we're going to be a little bit more critical are the three additional factors, uh, which uh, if we didn't mention them already, they're around permanence, uh, skill, and integrated uh, integral unit uh, of the process, right? So there's these three very, you know, this is a lawyer's dream. There's a bunch of these words, nobody really knows what they mean, and there's just a lot of interpretation. And I think the interpretive risk of the three uh, sub sub factors is where we're going to, you know, probably throw some comments. Uh, and I think specifically in the area around skill, um, which we don't think is needed because if you're, if you're addressing the opportunity for profit and loss and looking at initiative and entrepreneurship and that, that's, that covers, I think the skill version. And then separately, uh, one of the big uh, tests is whether if somebody is an independent contractor is if the business has employees doing the similar skill. And we don't believe that that should be a relevant factor because a business very well could have uh, W-2 full-time workers doing certain jobs, but still need a freelancer, an independent contractor that may use some, do some of the same skills, right? And, and so we don't think that that is necessarily a good uh, component of the test and, and I think would not provide the clarity and flexibility that the department is looking for. And that's really where the attack's been mostly on the ABC test and for those states like California, um, which have attempted to codify the ABC test is, is that issue of whether the work being done by the worker is actually integral to uh, the, the other work that's being done for the company. Yeah, and, and, and I know, and this is where I, I will check myself because I'm only a lawyer on the Hill and not a lawyer uh, in your respect. Uh, so I know that there is case law and there has been muddled opinions around whether it's integrated, integral, and what integral means. And some have interpreted it as important. Some have just means it's part of a process. And I know that the department here is looking to clarify that it's not integral as in important, and so I think that there, there's just a lot of confusion in that space. And I think that's probably why we'll add to our uh, comments and clarify that area, because I think that is one of the more concerning parts of the rule. Yeah, and it's, it's, you're right. And it's more than a semantic issue, because on the one hand, some rules use the word integral, while I think this proposed Department of Labor rule refers to it as integrated. 
Yeah. Uh, and so it's not such a semantic difference. And, and again, ju just to lay this out a little more clearly for those uh, who are listening who have not had a chance to look at or study the rule, as we've been talking about, again, the, the Department of Labor's proposed rule really elevates these two core factors above all other factors as those that really you should be looking at in step one of your analysis. The nature and degree that an individual is able to control his or her work number one, and number two, that individual's opportunity for profit or loss. Those are the two core factors. If both of those lean toward either employee or independent contractor, you sort of stop there, and that's where the analysis ends. It's only if, looking at those two core factors, you're having a bit of a different um, answer, whether one's employee or one's independent contractor, do you look at these three other factors that the proposed rule lays out? And as you said, they are the amount of skill that may be required for the individual's work, uh, the degree of permanence of that working relationship between the worker and the potential employer or the company, and then thirdly, whether the work is part of an integrated unit of production within that company. Um, so you're going to those three factors if, after looking at the first two core factors, uh, you have a difference of opinion and need to uh, uh, tip the scales one way or the other. And it sounds like where the bulk of your comments are going to be on behalf of Rela and CWI uh, is really to try to deal with the terms of art in those second three factors. Yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and specifically on the skill and in a integrated unit uh, components, I think is where we'll, we'll likely put a lot of emphasis. And what I've heard from other uh, stakeholders in this debate, I think that's, those are probably going to be the most hotly uh, commented uh, it, based on my just sort of brief conversations I've had with individuals. I think it's also important to note here, we're spending a lot of time talking about the DOL's proposed rule, and, and rightly so, that uh, while the DOL attempts to set a national standard on the issue, it's only doing so for purposes of the FLSA and its minimum wage and overtime requirements, as opposed to, for example, federal taxation or other purposes. Um, it, it also does not affect state and local, uh, the state and local patchwork of independent contractor standards. Do you agree with that? Yeah, unfortunately, it is going to be limited. Uh, administrative actions like this, uh, you know, are great, but they are limited in their scope. And, and ultimately, this doesn't uh, preempt uh, AB5 or another state that wants to move in a different direction. Um, so I think ultimately, this is a great opportunity to set some markers down. And obviously, it's, uh, we're, we're for it. Uh, but more work has to be done at the federal level um, to come up with you know, a common sense workable uh, framework that again, uh, promotes the positives of, the, of independent work while it mitigates as much as you can the negatives. And I think that there is a path there. And that is really something CWI has been focused on. And, you know, ultimately, you're going to need a federal approach that uh, has strong preemption in it so that uh, there's one standard across the states uh, that isn't uh, conflicted with California or Massachusetts or, you know, whatever state may look to go the ABC test route. Yeah, and, uh, you know, for those particularly who are multi-jurisdictional in nature, um, because they've got employees and operations across many states, this has been a significant challenge. The more we have states and local jurisdictions uh, uh, having these initiatives and, and enacting laws that may be different from state to state, it's not unique to the retail industry, but, but keeping to the retail industry for the moment, since you're the one I'm talking to, how, how has RELA been... 
uh, addressing the multi-jurisdictional issue with companies and with its members in terms of, well, we've got this federal standard that we're working on, but there are California and other states who have completely different different rules and different guidelines. How, how does Real how has Real been addressing? Yeah, I mean, and, and this this goes for for broadly a, a lot of issues. You know, our members are the largest retailers in the country. They do business in every jurisdiction. And, you know, unfortunately, they're now used to having to deal with patchworks, whether it's an uh, independent contractor or scheduling or paid sick leave. Um, you know, this is, this is uh, continually a pain point from a compliance standpoint with our members. Um, you know, our role at RELA is always to get to a position where, uh, you know, our members, uh, you know, feel comfortable with a rule or a regulation or a law and that it's, uh, there's clarity, there's certainty around it, and that we can move forward, right? And that's always our position when we speak to policymakers. Uh, a lot of times it's not, you know, no to that rule. It's like no to that rule in its form, can we do this? <laughs> because that is just going to help, you know, a 50 state employer uh, a bit better. And, and there's and there's tension within the business community on that point, right? I mean, you have small business community that, you know, doesn't care about national standards and wants to make sure that, you know, they may be in a state that is, is fairly lenient on an issue. So it's always a tension in the business community. And then it's a tension between, you know, lawmakers and the business community. So it's a it's a, a bit of a puzzle to put together a lot of times, and uh, we'll continue to work on it. Uh, makes makes perfect sense. Uh, so I want to end with three prognostication questions for you, if you don't mind. This is the segment that I like to ask you to predict the future and put you on the spot a little bit. Well, just as long as you don't uh, ask me to predict the election results, because I just get those wrong all the time. So, uh, uh, no, <laughs> absolutely. And, and frankly, we, my firm has a whole separate podcast dealing with that exercise. So I'm not even, I'm not even going to venture into that, uh, that forest. Um, but for purposes of employment law and uh, the proposed independent contractor rule, at least on the federal level, uh, I do have a, a few questions for you. Uh, first, do you expect that the Department of Labor's proposed rule will proceed and get finalized in at least substantially this proposed form, or do you expect that the Department of Labor will accept and make major revisions? I do think they'll finalize it um, in, the, in, in 2020. Um, I don't expect major revisions, but I, I would expect that they will take into account comments that they receive. I think any good rulemaking generally accepts comments and tries to integrate them into a final rule. And I would, I would suspect that they will do that. Um, I think if they tried to do major overhaul to it, it would, I think, make it very difficult to get it done this year. Um, so I think the, the fact of the matter, they, they have a deadline that they want to get to. Um, you know, I think they'll probably take some, take some clarifying revisions and, and some other uh, notes from folks and then move forward. Yeah, and so, you know, I did promise I'm not going to ask you to predict the election, but I do want to just touch on the politics of this a little bit, and, and we've danced around it a little bit, but, you know, one of the biggest um, issues that employers have and those who advise employers have had is that so much coming out of uh, regulation and new laws, particularly when you're dealing with government agencies on the federal level, whether, whether it's the NLRB or you know, the Department of Labor, is that so much of this depends on the particular political administration in power. How, how much do you think this is politically impacted when we're talking about this particular rule? Um, I guess, in other words, if, if Biden wins the election, might employers expect that this whole new rule, this whole new standard is going to get scrapped anyway sometime after inauguration? 
Yeah, I think it's uh, with labor and employment policy, I think the pendulum swings the most dramatically between Republicans and Democrats. Um, and I would expect that uh, a Biden Department of Labor would uh, do a rulemaking to repeal it or do a rulemaking to narrow the test more like an ABC test. Um, you know, the Biden administration hasn't come out in any specific direction on the gig economy or the ABC test, but the Biden campaign has strongly supported the PRO Act. And the PRO Act does include the ABC test. Now, you can split hairs and, and say they haven't really endorsed the ABC test, but, you know, a lot of indica indicators are there. So they could go that route. The other issue that uh, is probably on the table with the Democratic Congress is the Congressional Review Act, where they will just rip the rule out uh, from the roots uh, and say, good work, guys, uh, but we're just going to cancel this. It's something that the Republicans did, I believe, 14 times uh, when they came in after the Obama administration. It's a really effective congressional tool to get rid of a, a regulation. Um, uh, and I would expect that that will be in play. The wonky thing about the CRA, and there are experts on this that disagree, is just how, how do you count the days from when the rule is finalized to when the Congress acts really matters whether they can use it. And I won't bore everybody with it, but it's very complicated. Uh, but I think it will be on the table for the next Democratic Congress. Very interesting. Uh, among so many other issues uh, that have such importance, um, so the last thing I want to ask you uh, in terms of prognostication, is there anything on the horizon that employers, particularly in the retail industry, should be looking out for in terms of some regulatory initiatives that may be coming down the pike? You know, you know, my, you know we were talking before we started this, uh, and I said, you know, a lot of my work right now is prepping uh, for uh, the next Congress. And I do think, uh, not to be predicting, but we are, you know, looking at likely Democratic Senate, House, and White House and, you know, that's just a recipe for a whole host of regulations and laws on the labor and employment side. Uh, it just is. Um, you know, when you have Democratic control, you, you're typically going to get more action on the labor and employment side. So, I, you know, we're, we're expecting, you know, activity around, uh, you know, labor relations, you know, like the PRO Act, uh, like card check, um, you know, certainly issues like paid leave, uh, minimum wage, pay equity laws, uh, those things are coming down. And, you know, we're preparing for them, um, in a, you know, in the way that makes sense for our members. Uh, but I would, uh, I would caution uh, all business interests to, to, to prepare yourself for, for a coming uh, storm on that front, because uh, it is likely coming. And when we've been talking about paid sick leave issues and pay equity issues, a lot of that has been on the state levels uh, for the most part over the past couple of years. You also think uh, that we'll be starting to see some real movement on the federal level as well? I think it's, it's very likely uh, on those issues. And the interesting political dynamic uh, that we're all sort of the parlor game that everybody's playing right now is uh, the Democrats control the Senate. Uh, they will hang the filibuster over the Republicans uh, as much as they can, right? So they may put a pay equity bill and say, we dare the Republicans to filibuster a pay equity bill, and then we'll just get rid of the filibuster in the name of pay equity, right? I think you're going to see that a lot. And some of those uh, labor issues that are more, um, you know, tr they are trickier to fight for Republicans uh, unless they have an alternative position, which oftentimes they don't. Um, so I do think those issues are coming uh, quickly, uh, and it, because again, I think they're politically winning issues for for Democrats um, more often than not. 
So no question the results of uh, this general election in November and certainly then the midterm elections uh, in two years uh, really going to play a large role in defining labor and employment law moving forward for the next uh, half decade and beyond. I think that's right. Uh, you know, if you're if you're someone who's looking for status quo on labor and employment laws, you would you would you would uh, be looking for the Republicans to hold a slight majority in the Senate, because uh, if they don't, I do think we're going to get, you know, I think everybody experienced, uh, you know, a wave of new regulations and laws uh, during the Obama administration. I think you'd see a similar wave, if not more uh, this time, because uh, now there's the risk of this, the Republican senators not even having a filibuster at some point to stop some of these laws like the PRO Act. So that's really the, the, what we're prepping our members for. And I think a lot of the, the lobbyists in D.C. Are, are sort of thinking this way. I'll tell you, no matter how hard you try and how hard I promise, you just can't get away from politics in any of these discussions. I, I know. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, for me, it's uh, I. Uh, it's disappointing because so much of our business uh, relies on uh, what administration is in at any given time. And, um, you know, it, and it just takes away from the core uh, business uh, that they're trying to do. And uh, it, that is unfortunate. No question. So, uh, Evan, if there is uh, um, a retail organization that's listening and uh, they have not yet been involved with RELA and, and want to learn some more and perhaps get involved with RELA, how do they go about doing that? Absolutely. Um, you know, happy to email me directly at uh, evan, E-V-A-N dot armstrong at R-I-L-A dot org. Uh, happy to chat with you about, um, you know, our membership. Uh, but also if you're a non-retail uh, uh, business um, and you're interested in CWI, um, in the independent contractor issue, our comments and sort of our work on the Hill in that space, you know, all, uh, happy to talk, talk about that as well. Uh, so, uh, Mike, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about the work we're doing and, uh, again, open to, to connecting with any of your audience. No, that's terrific and appreciate it. You always provide such great insight and perspective on, on all of these issues. So, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you'll be able to come back on the podcast soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Always so informative, and once again, uh, I really appreciate Evan coming on to the podcast. I hope that brought you some good things and some informative things to take back to your organizations. Please continue to email me with feedback at mschmidt at cozen.com. If you have a question about this episode or topic ideas for future podcast episodes, I always appreciate feedback, good, bad, and anywhere in between. I hope you, your families, and your colleagues continue to stay safe and well. And until the next time, I also hope all of your labor is productive.